Hey guys, Veronica, Andrew, and Nate here. We are Foodies Watching Movies, a podcast dedicated to awesome movies, great food, and that's about it. Check us out on the JIC Network at www.journeyintocomics.com. Maybe throw some money over to our Patreon so we can eat this week. And now your feature presentation. The following is a Journey into Comics Network production. Hey, hey, this is Josh Richmond, and you are listening to the Voice of Survival podcast, exclusively on the Journey into Comics Network. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to a very special episode of the Voice of Survival podcast. As the introduction said, I am your host, Nate, and I have a very, very special guest joining me today. She is, oh man, this is a a long list to try to tackle, so let's see if I can knock this out without failure. The Jelly in Jellyvision show on Podbean. She is the host of Podcasting Smarter. She is the creator of of the social media rescue. She's a social media guru, entrepreneurial expert, uh, creator of the DC Podfest, and overall just cool person who seems very busy. Welcome to my show, Jennifer Crawford. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Nate. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm so honored. Well, uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit after I was on your show, Podcasting Smarter, which was an amazing experience for me. I just thought it was like we had a really good conversation. It seemed like we kind of went over your typical length of episode. And my thought was, well, why don't don't I return the favor, have you on, and learn some stuff about you. We've got listeners that love hearing amazing, incredible stories about everyday people. And I think you're really a a gem amongst people as far as just from the little bit of research I've done. So I'm going to go ahead and just kick it off with this very first question. How we met each other is directly through podcasting. So I, I really need to know, where does the want, the need, the drive for podcasting for you start? Because here in a little bit of the research I've done, I can tell you, you've podcasted so long, I can't find episode one of your Jellyvision show. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's amazing. Uh, you you think that things on the internet are forever, but I think those early episodes got lost because we streamed them on a service called Ustream, and I think Ustream after a while, if you don't pay, deletes them. So I think they there are some lost episodes. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I have been I have been podcasting a while, and I think the need comes from sort of, you know what, I just have always been a fan of the underdog. And I think podcasting was such a great medium for underdogs, because it gave people a chance to have a voice and put themselves out there, have a chance of being discovered or sharing a passion, sharing some knowledge. um, And and I just found it just so empowering from the very beginning when I first started. And when I first started, I it was simply a vehicle to 
expand upon a, a brick and mortar business I had at the time. I had an, an early co-working space, which was for the creative class. So we had a, a 5,000 square foot former auto body shop from the 70s that we converted into this creative space for musicians and artists and performers of all kinds. And there was so much magic happening within our walls, just creative magic. And it was open to the public, but I thought, oh, if only I could have more people discovering these people that we are so lucky to encounter here. And so podcasting, um, once I heard about it, I thought, oh, this is fairly easy to do. And we were live streaming on video also. And it was just a way to expose the artists to a, a broader community, you know, beyond our walls. And I thought that was really powerful. Um, and I just fell in love with it from there. So it's interesting because not only do you fall in love with podcasting because of this brick and mortar, but is this also where your love for improv really like expands? <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? I think so. I was such a, a sh I'm, I'm naturally very shy and introverted. And it's one of those things that people have a hard time believing because I am in an improv troupe and I perform. But that was something that came about in that same space. Um, we had the beginnings of an improv uh, workshop that started there and we were low on numbers. And so I, I sort of jumped in just to be a warm body and I ended up falling in love with it. And at the time I was, I was somebody that would never get up and like, and talk to people. I would never do public speaking. I would never get behind a mic ever. I was so shy and improv really helped me gain some more confidence and, it lets you fail, but fail in a fun way. And you realize that, you know, you can make a fool out of yourself and nothing really bad is going to happen. Nobody's going to eat you. You're still going to, you're still going to live through it. And, and that business where all that happened was one of my biggest failures. I failed tremendously and had to close its doors about five years in after losing so much money. <laughs> and so I guess that whole experience taught me to fail and improv definitely helps with podcasting, I think. So if anybody out there has ever considered taking an improv class, I highly recommend it. Actually, that's an interesting segue between those two worlds because I know when I first started podcasting, at least for me, uh, getting behind a microphone in a room by yourself, and that's how I started, uh, can be extremely overwhelming because even if you're just by yourself and there should be no pressure whatsoever your little brain starts ticking. Hey, somebody might hear you say this. And hey, what are they going to think? So then your mind goes a little crazy. So for you, now you've done, you did, did you do improv before you started podcasting? Are they kind of in tandem almost simultaneously? They almost, yeah, it's pretty simultaneous. It was almost in tandem. I mean, so, not exact date, but probably within a few months of each other. So really it's kind of exposure therapy too. Because you have improv where you're dealing with real people seeing you, uh, you know, be creative and sometimes have creative failures, as you said, and you just live with that. And then now when you go to get behind a microphone, I feel like when you sat down for your first podcast, was the pressure off just right out the gate? I don't know if it was off. I mean, I think 
what happened in that time and space, we were all about creative freedom. It was a big, you know, mantra of ours. Like we had this, we had this space that we could do anything in. There were no rules. Like we just, if we wanted to put on a show or a variety show or a poetry slam or whatever we wanted to do, we could make happen. And so I think with the podcast, we just thought of it as this like creative experiment and so that gave us the freedom to take some chances. And it was, I'm kind of glad that you can't find those early episodes because they were horrible, horrible. I mean, we didn't, we had no idea what we were doing. It was just, um, it was poorly thought out, poorly executed in a lot of ways. Um, but like anything, you know, with podcasting, it's one of those things you really can't read a book to get better. You can only get better by actually, you know, in practice and doing it over and over again, it's really the only way to get better at it. What do they say? It's uh, 10,000 hours of doing something will make you a master at it? Yeah, that's what they say. I, and I, I tend to, to believe it. Do you ever wonder how many hours you've logged podcasting uh, in your journey? It's interesting, you know, talking about uh, not being able to find the, like, your lost tapes of the, um, you know, the demo reel worth of your original show. You know, that's one creative vision that you had, though, that helps you to find what you were doing. You really trailblaze in a lot of ways more than you probably even realized the world of podcasting because you were out there before a lot of people. I mean, I didn't find podcasting until like 2012. And by that time, you were already 65 episodes deep, according to what I could find on the interwebs. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was fairly early, certainly not the earliest, but it's still, you know, they call podcasting the wild, wild west because we're still in, it's still in its infancy. I mean, it really is. Um, I mean, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like it because now it sounds like everybody has a podcast. <laughs> it's like every time I turn around, there's another podcaster out there. Um, but I, I feel like it's, I mean, I think of podcasting as an art form. I don't know if if you feel the same way about it, but I feel like it's an art form. And I think we, we still have a lot to explore with this art form. I think we're going to see people do some amazingly creative out of the box things. Um, and I, I'm sort of excited to see what people do with it. Oh, absolutely. There are so many different ideas and concepts that just flow through my head as a podcaster. And I totally agree with you thinking that this is an art form because while I do these shows, it's not just, hey, I really want to talk to A, B, or C, or hey, I want to cover this news or whatnot. It always comes down to, I want to be able to express myself and and have a moment of my life in kind of a recorded form. And I can look back, and it's really cool and a beautiful thing to look back on early episodes of your podcast and go, wow, I like, I really have evolved quite a bit here. So, and, and with evolving quite a bit, so, you know, you've, you've done this for a while now. What are some things you would love to go back and tell yourself now that you are a veteran podcaster? I mean, the Jelly Vision show has over two, you're almost at episode 250. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. It's hard to believe it. In some ways, it seems like I just started yesterday. And in some ways, it feels like it was a long time ago. But if I had to go back, I think I would tell myself to take it more seriously because I honestly think it wasn't until like our third year where I, I'm such a slow learner where I was like, I guess I'm 
I'm spending a lot of time doing this. I should start taking it more seriously and start, you know, you know, upgrade our equipment and get on a regular production schedule and have some um, pre-thought to what we were we are doing and and some deeper thought into our mission and if our mission has changed and if so how. Um, so that's I think I wasted too much time um, because I think if I had taken it seriously from the, the starting gate, I would have made some different choices. And I think that would have would have served me well. You know, I would have had a better foundation. But instead, I just jumped in and I didn't research and I didn't it, there was no there was nothing like I just didn't I didn't put any real effort into it in the beginning. And I, I regret that to this day. I think it's a learning experience, though, uh, because it helped you evolve now. And now as a veteran of the game, and, and you can say that because you've done it a long time, a little bit longer than me, which is impressive. Some people are shocked that I've, I've done it for four years. And I'm like, no, that's packing peanuts compared to some people, you know. So uh, my, my thing is now where you're at uh, you know, you've reflected on all of this. Do you think that there are moments within your podcasting journey that are failures that defined you more than your successes? And I don't mean that as a negative way. Let me kind of maybe preface that a little bit better. That was probably poorly worded. I mean that by saying, are there moments that you look back on now as the failures that helped you to evolve to what you wanted ultimately this goal of yours to be? Yeah, I think so. And I didn't, I didn't take any offense to the original question because I think, you know, really the only way we learn is from our failures. We learn so much more from them than we do our successes, right? Our successes can give us some arrogance and some confidence that can actually maybe blind us to some things where the failures are really, you know, it's just life lessons learned the hard way, which is, you know, which means that you're going to um, remember those lessons uh, because you learn them so with such difficulty. So, yeah, I think the failures have been have taught me and helped me along the way. Um, you know, like I said, by not taking it seriously in the beginning and having a show that was really just I should just apologize to humanity for some of those episodes. And you look back and you realize, oh, you know, I'm I'm putting something out there in the world that has my name on it and I'm not proud of that. So um, I have to fix that. You know, I mean, I really love the idea of producing more than consuming, but if I'm producing just a bunch of crap, like what's the point? You know, I'm wasting, I'm not only wasting my time, but I'm wasting other people's time. And I think wasting other people's time is, is gotta be, I don't think it's one of the seven deadly sins, but it really should be. <laughs> because, I agree because people, with you. Yeah, because people can't get, if you waste somebody's time, they can't get it back. They can't make more of it. So I, I, I sort of take that very, very seriously now as I'm older and wiser. I'm so sorry that the puppies are making so much noise. <laughs> oh, you're totally fine. That It's awesome. We love having the spirit of the doggos on our show here today. Uh, it's interesting talking about like you not taking it seriously. It kind of makes me reflect a little bit. And I feel like a common thread I hear in a lot of podcasters, and this is not everybody, but a lot of podcasters to me seem to almost have this mentality of, well, I don't, I don't need to prepare anything, man, because I just want to come off the cuff and be totally myself and original. And I think that we have almost, and I want to get your opinion on this, a muddying of the waters. You said it yourself. There are a lot of podcasts now, 
But my question is, do you think there are too many? Oh, geez. You know, that's that's a great question. Yeah, I think there are too many. Um, there are a lot of crappy podcasts out there. Um, we've all heard them. I mean, we all, you know, you, you it, and it's tough because, you know, if you meet these these podcast hosts one-on-one face-to-face, you probably love these people. But I think there are too many people that just turn on the mic and they, you know, with their best friends and they think that conversations that they've been having with each other at the bar and, you know, while they're watching movies or whatever are fascinating, but they're, they're not necessarily that fascinating. (laughs) So, um, I, I think it does take more than just turning on the mic and, and just, you know, just having a, a random conversation. I think you do have to put a little bit more effort into it. It's a, I feel like it's always, to me, been a beautiful mixture of not only do you have like an idea of what you want to do, a theme for the show, if you will, but you are, if you have hosts or co-hosts or guests or whatever, that you're genuinely able to try to connect with them and bring out more than just a conversation that you would have privately over a beer or something. So you're talking about beer. It's on the it's on the list here. So I'm just going to ask the question outright. You do a lot of things, and we're going to get into much more than just podcasting today. But uh, I want to know in all these different things, how do you unwind at the end of a day? I mean, goodness, you have, like I said, social media rescue is a business you run, which is helping just be a guru for people and help their numbers go up and understand how to sell yourself on the internet properly. You've had a, you know, a million dollar company. You started your first business at 19. That's insane. I mean, how, how does one who is so driven unwind at the end of the day? Oh, geez. Well, um, I usually give myself, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I like to give myself an hour a day. Um, just because I, you know, I think some, you need something to sort of check out. Um, and just kind of relax your mind and distract it from all other things. And um, I also go to the gym, <laughs> and and that helps. Like at least with the stress, I, I tend to, you know, I'm a sweater. I sweat a lot, and I, I'd say that that's because I'm, I'm just sweating out all my stress. Um, so some time on the treadmill in the weight room that helps a lot. <laughs> when in doubt, sweat it out, right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. So, I love that. <laughs> uh, you know, you were talking about winding down with tv i gotta ask what show i'm i that's uh that 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 is actually a really interesting question what shows do you get down on oh my gosh well i've been i mainly watch things on netflix um because i like many people have grown weary of even fast forwarding through commercials um walking dead was one of my faves although i am not into the, I just haven't watched this season. Don't ask me why, because I just moved on. And I love British crime. So shows like Broadchurch. Oh my um, goodness, we're going to be best friends. Broadchurch, <laughs> that first season. Oh my gosh, so good. Incredible so good. show. David Tennant's one of my favorite actors. Um, big Doctor Who fan, so. Oh, nice. Yeah, such a, such, such a good show. And, you know, what I love about British shows is that all the actors and actors actresses seem like real people. Like nobody looks like like they stepped off the the pages of a like a model. You know, they're not models, and so they just they're just so believable and relatable. So yeah, 
and I like those kind of things. And they're all great character actors. They can really, I've seen, uh, I mean, there are guys who are, because obviously with the, the British actors, they really are recycled amongst all the different shows. You got some of them that are in Game of Thrones. They end up in major motion pictures or Netflix series or whatever, Doctor Who and what have you. So you see them all over the place. And it doesn't matter what they're in. Like, if you watch David Tennant in Broadchurch, or you watch him in Doctor Who, or if you watch him in Jessica Jones, it's not David Tennant. He's three different characters, and the guy David Tennant gets lost under that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. amazing. I absolutely agree. So impressive. Agree. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into what got you deciding to be a social media guru? That's a really interesting thing for one <laughs> to be called. Uh I feel like I have knowledge of how social media works, and I feel like there is something called the hustle. However, I feel like maybe you've unlocked something that's a little deeper than the hustle, and I want to know where that drive comes from and uh, go go into that part of your journey now. Sure, yeah. Well, I, I think I mentioned that my, my business, my creative co-working space failed. We had to close it, um, and so I, I walked away with no money, you know, less than no money. And I had to sort of, it was such a, a difficult time in my life, but I had, I had to assess what I walked away with, which, um, was difficult because at first I didn't feel like I'd walked away with anything. These darn puppies. It's okay. No worries. They're so loud. Um, they're just bringing extra spirit to this podcast. We'll always look back on these, on these amazing rescue dogs. And we're going to talk about that too, because you also are a a rescuer and we want to get into that at some point. So I'm I'm regretting it at the moment. Um, anyway, so you guys, so embarrassing. Um, so a couple of the things I walked away with, I walked away with my podcast. I walked away with my improv troupe and I walked away with, you know, some skills that I didn't have previous to the business. And one of those was social media because I'd had to learn so much about it because we, as the business, um, was eating up every last, you know, dollar, I had to be really resourceful when it came to marketing. And so social media, um, was my savior. It, it helped us drive people through the doors. And I really had to get to know how to leverage it to drive people to our relatively unknown business. And, and I loved it. And I enjoyed it. And after the after my business closed, I had a lot of women friends who were business owners, um, some of them solopreneurs, some of them, you know, having you know, legit, you know, more than one person businesses. And they would buy me coffee just to pick my brain about social media. And I just, I didn't mind it. And I enjoyed it. And I kept doing it until finally one of my friends said, you know, what? I just hate social media. I hate doing it. Can I just pay you to do it for me? And I was like, what? You're going to pay me to do this? And then I realized, oh yeah, I guess people do get paid for this. And so, um, my other, my other business owning friend was like, yeah, I'll do that too. And so they were my first clients and I still have them as clients today. That was three years ago. Um, and I didn't charge them very much because I, I wanted to, you know, prove that I could do this and that I could offer them value. And, um, and then, you know, I just picked up other clients along the way and it, it grew from there. And, um, I, I love every second of it. I, I've been an entrepreneur from a very young age. And so I really, um, I really get excited about helping other business owners be successful. It's just like, I could do that all day, every day till the, you know, for the rest of my days. So, um, 
you know, it's easy to get out of bed in the morning because I love what I do. So, and it's, you know, my previous business, it was a brick and mortar. So I was very tied to the space. Like it was, you know, I went there, you know, every morning at 6am and a lot of times I didn't leave until midnight or 1am. And so this, this type of work is very flexible. It's, you know, location independent. And that's such a change, which um, makes me love it even more. It, it frees your schedule up to do things like podcasting and other great yeah. things. So <laughs> yeah, it, does. It, 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 it seems that you are choosing, and this is a beautiful thing, not, you know, not everybody has the, um, the confidence in their self and the ability to create success like you, where you decided, I don't want someone lording over me every day and telling me how to live my life. I want to make all the choices that I want to make and then let everything sort itself out in the wash. And I really, really respect that kind of mind frame. I'm, I'm of the same, you know, cut there. So I totally, totally understand uh, your drive and wanting to help people. Within helping people, you have done other things. And we're going to dive into this now. You created DC PodFest, but before we get there, I feel like it is very important to ask Podcasting Smarter and how you get tied to Podbean. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> so uh, Podbean, uh, I was a Podbean, actually, I'm still a Podbean, a paying Podbean customer. Same. Uh yeah, so they were my podcasting host for years, and um, when I decided to do DC PodFest, they were one of my first sponsors, and um, uh, Shannon, who's the communications director, she actually came all the, way, all the way from Shanghai to DC PodFest my first year, and they were so supportive of, of the conference, and it, that was so nice of them, particularly in the early days of the conference, and I got to know them a little bit, and Shannon asked me like what I did in real life, and I told her about Social Media Rescue and my business, and she said, you know, I need to talk to you about that because um, we could use some help in that in that arena. And I was like, this is great. And so um, they're actually a client of mine. And so, you know, I'm, I consider myself one of the Podbean team. Podbean is um, a small company. There's, a, I think about, there's about 20 people all together. And I love working with them um, because they're so, you know, just genuine and wanting to make a really good product. Um, and, and they're so pro indie podcaster and I just, I just love that about them. So they are, I just love having them as a client and I handle their accounts personally. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how that relationship formed. Wow. That's incredible. So they say, Hey, we need someone to help us kind of level up, you know, Podbean's awesome, but I feel like everyone just talks about iTunes podcasts and we're like trying to get people on iTunes podcasts. How can we help? So do they then go, why don't we give you a show on our network or how does that, because that, that one, that, that, that question kind of perplexes me. Is this your decision to do podcasting smarter in tandem with them? Did you bring the idea I can't remember if I brought the idea to them or if Shannon, Shannon, it may have been Shannon's idea, but um, it doesn't really matter. But I think it was just, hey, we're a podcast hosting company. Um, it makes sense for um, you to have a podcast, for Podbean to have a podcast. And it gave us another um, another means to connect 
with the indie podcasters that hosted with us. And it's great because we can talk to them about their journey and what they've learned along the way. And it doesn't matter how many podcasters I talk to, I always end up learning a little something by the end of the conversation. So I figure if I'm learning something, hopefully other people are too, or at least enjoying that hearing from somebody that is going through something similar. So, um, so yeah, so that's how, um, I got to, they asked me if I'd be interested in hosting the podcast and I said, sure, why not? Let's just add something else to, to the schedule, the list of to do's, (laughs) The, the list of to do's, no, no biggie. And so that's, um, that's how that happened. I think now we're in our, uh, I think we just started our fourth season. That's incredible. Yeah, I think yeah. you guys kicked off season four with me, which was, whoa, yeah, what an honor. Right. That was ridiculous. I've, awesome. I've never been in episode one for anybody, so that was really cool. <laughs> uh, so within all of this, you know, you, you're doing podcasting smarter now, and we're going to kind of go through some of that stuff here in a second. But before we pass over it, because we briefly talked on it, DC PodFest, let's get into your decision to do a conference for podcasters in DC are you the first in this space in that area of the world, I guess, is the best way to ask that question? Yeah, I mean, at least in D.C., I, I think the next closest podcasting conference is the Mid-Atlantic Podcasting Conference, um, which is a great co- conference uh, run by Joe Pardo. I, I go to that um, almost every year. I had to miss last year, um, and that takes place in New Jersey. But yeah, I started it because a few years ago, I was looking for a conference in D.C. for podcasters because I was getting kind of lonely and I thought, I've been doing this long enough. I'd love to talk to other people like me that do podcasting and, you know, I just kind of craved uh, a community. And I so I did some research and dis, and discovered that there were no podcasting conferences in D.C. And I was really surprised because D.C. is just um, it's a town of conferences. There's conferences for everything here. And so I think just because I have that entrepreneurial, you know, blood in me, I felt that, you know, if if I wanted it and it wasn't there, I just had to I had to create it. So I started um, looking for other DC podcasters online and we, I started a Facebook group, which brought, you know, some more people in and people were really receptive to the idea. And so we picked a date, found a venue and kicked it off. How was the turnout? Um, it was fine. Uh, the first year, it's a smaller conference by design. So I think the first year we had about like 50 people and the next year I think it was like 75. And then this past year it was like 120. That's amazing. I was, uh, actually when I realized you ran DC PodFest. now I'm in Chicago, so I'm not anywhere near DC, but I've never also never been to DC, so I was like, next year I think I've got to go to DC Podfest. Maybe that's a crazy thing of me to do, but like, I think that would be incredible to just be in that environment, you know? Yeah, we'd love to have you. It's a great city to visit, so your your trip will not be wasted. Um, tons to see and do here, and a lot of it is free, which is nice. And uh, yeah, it's an, an incredible city. You should definitely try to make it. Awesome, awesome. Well, that'll have to be something that is in my future plans. I'm going to go ahead and go back a little bit earlier in your story here because we didn't even touch on the fact that, I mean, I said it, but we didn't really get into that at all. Your first business, 19 years old, started it in college. 
Yeah. How does this come about? Where do you? When do you decide like you're gonna be a you know a, a, a you know a self-made as it were? <laughs> well, in my case, um, I didn't come from a family that had a lot of like money. So when I went to college, it was all on like scholarships, grants, and financial aid. And, um, and so, and to have any extra money, I had to work, like, I think I I was working three jobs almost the entire time I was in college. And I was just, I was exhausted. I was really exhausted. And one of the jobs, I, my whole plan was to go to vet school. I, I wanted to be a veterinarian, like since like I was a kid, I just loved animals, thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. And, um, so one of my jobs, I was working at a vet's office as a, like a vet assistant. And as I was working there, um, I started pet sitting for clients who had pets whose health was compromised and they, and because their health was compromised, they didn't want to board them because the, you know, boarding is so stressful for them. And so they wanted them to stay at home and they needed medication, um, sometimes injections. So, and I had the ability to do that. So my first customers were sickly animals, but I would go and, um, visit them in, in their homes and give them some attention and food and their medicine. And, uh, people would pay me to do it. And at first I didn't think anything of it, but I started getting really busy doing that. And at one point it just occurred to me that, oh, this is another way to work with animals. Like maybe I don't have to be a veterinarian because at the time I was, I had no idea how I was going to pay for vet school. I mean, I was struggling to pay for undergraduate school. I was stressed, um, all the time. Um, one semester, my financial aid didn't come in on time. And so all my classes got dropped oh, no. and yeah. And, and, and that, yeah, it was just a mess. And so I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. It finally came through, but I couldn't start class until two weeks after classes started. It was just that kind of BS that was just wearing me down. And I was also like looking at the numbers and I thought, well, gee, if, if I go to grad school to be a veterinarian for four years, I'm going to probably have to take out, you know, $80,000 in loans. And so I'm going to come out of school really, really burdened with debt. And I know how much vets, you know, I kind of had an idea of how much veterinarians made. And I knew there was, you know, there's basically any salaried job. There's a ceiling. It's not about, it's not the glass ceiling. That's a whole different ceiling, but there is a salary ceiling. And I thought, you know, that was just really, didn't appeal to me. (laughs) And so I thought, well, what if I start a pet sitting company and then it's really up to me you know, how successful this business is, there'd be no limit to how much money I can make. It's the only limit is how, how well I build this business. And, and I get to work with animals. And I just really love that idea. So that's what I did. I dropped out of college and I got a business license. And, (laughs) and I, you know, came up with a name, got some business cards. And I started, I started the business. And 11 years later, I sold it. And it was great. I it grew over time. It taught me. It was so much better than any MBA I could have gotten. It was such a great experience in terms of learning how to grow a business, learning how to train employees. It was it was a it was a, a amazing experience. It's one of those experience. The reason that experience is probably so good for you is because while you can learn the book aspects of learning business and whatnot. 
Being out there and learning through successes and failures helps you to see how to make your successes grow and minimize your failures. So you're out there getting real experience building this business. The Really, the only thing that holds you back in the very beginning is how much you wanted to hustle and how many oh, yeah. people you were just trying to get under your wing of like, if you need me to take care of your pet, I got you. I love pets. Yeah, it's, it's a great thing about service businesses. I always feel bad when I see people stressing out about not finding a job or anything like that. I was like, I could, I can start a business literally in five minutes by walking out my door and just knocking on doors. Um, so I just, I've never understood that. Like never understood that, like applying for jobs thing. I'm like, I just make your own job. You can make your own job. Um, and so that's kind of what I did with the, the pet sitting company. And I also did that with a, um, I had a friend of mine who was desperate. She, it was in the early nineties. It was actually around the same time I started my pet sitting company. So it was just getting off the ground. I wasn't super busy yet. And my friend, um, there was a recession in the early nineties and she could literally wallpaper her living room with her rejections from job applications. And so I said, Hey, Kathy, what if we clean houses? <laughs> and that afternoon she came over, we made a, a like this, really ugly, like crappy flyer. And we went door to door to these McMansions, um, offering to give quotes to clean people's houses. And by the end of the day, we had a completely full schedule. Wow. That's see, look I at mean, you. You are the hustle of hustlers. <laughs> it's, it's just not even that hard. It was, it literally took two hours and we had a business. That's incredible. You've inspired me. I'm going to go start my own cleaning business tomorrow, <laughs> maybe today. I mean, I mean, it wasn't our dream job. I mean, it was it was backbreaking work. It was two of us cleaning McMansions all day long, six days a week. It was hard, hard work. I don't know that I my knees could do it today, but but you know what? It put it, you know it put food on our table, you know, and it paid the bills. It wasn't glamorous at all. It you know you'd have to you know, but you know when you need to when you need to bring in money you need to bring in money so th there's always a way to do that <laughs> i firmly believe it legal there's always a legal way to do it lovely i love how you just tied that back together so i'm going to tie speaking of tying things together i'm going to take your first business and kind of some of the things that are going on now in your life and we were talking about them a little bit you got the doggos in the office with you you start your pet sitting business at 19 now here you are you know many years later and we are at the point where you are fostering pets and being a dog rescue mom, and that's incredible. It's incredible <laughs> to see you, just your love for animals as a, also as an animal lover. It's just it was it was awesome to kind of just like peruse your Facebook page and be like, oh look at that awesome big old doggo. That's Aww. cool. <laughs> that was Meatball. <laughs> oh wow, he's a very happy looking pup. Yeah, that's that's my big baby. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I love animals, and that I should have when I you asked that question about how I I wind down. I should probably give Meatball, my big um, rescue dog, a lot of credit because he, um, you know, animals just bring so much you know to your life, and they help you think outside yourself quite a bit because you're, you know, so concerned with how their day is going and what they need throughout the day that I just think it it keeps us from being too self-centered. Yeah, it, uh, having a pet is a very selfless act because you've you're not just like okay, like I always hate the people that are like, "Oh, I got a cat for Christmas." And then I see that they don't take care of it. It's like, "Dude, it's not that hard. Feed the cat and make sure the litter box is clean and that cat will be awesome. Just pet it." Yeah. That the end. Like cats are easy. Dogs are even easier cuz they just want to love you. And, and Oh my gosh, and yeah. As long as you're just a loving person back, the dog's going to be your best friend. It's so great. 
My dog Holly is crazy. She Aww. literally noodles her whole body, wags her whole body when I come back because uh, she's, she's with my father. She lives with him so because we can't have dogs here. And uh, so when I go and see her, man, she's she noodles her whole body flailing <laughs> and just like whines. She's so excited to see me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's my puppy. So Aww. I just absolutely love that you're also, a uh, you know, a, a pet lover. It's so great to see that uh, just amongst all the many different things you've done. So let's talk about let's go through. OK, I want to know this before we get out of here. There's some there's a couple different questions I want to make sure to touch on. I want okay. you to, if you can, quantify your top five tips for social media to people who maybe are really early in the game. You know, being that you're, mm. if you, if you, if you cannot, you don't have to give it all away. I don't want you to give it all away because I, I understand it's also your business. But if there were just little nuggets of knowledge that you could drop off to people to kind of help them evolve their game, what would you uh, give as advice? Sure. Yeah. Well, first, I'd like to say I don't have any magic powers or potion. I mean, social media is is a lot of work. I would say that um, remember that it's social. Uh, you know, the word social just, I think, gets blurred in the meaning. But it's really about um, relationships and um, communicating with people. And I think too many times people use it as like an online billboard, like buy this thing I'm selling, buy this thing I'm selling, buy this thing I'm selling. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to buy the thing you're selling. Um, you know, but they do, they do want to know who you are as a person and they do want to connect on some deeper level. And when you can manage to do that, whether that's through entertainment or, um, a conversation, um, that I think works or telling a story, I think that works really well. And, also, I think the thing with social media is that it's got to complement what you're doing offline. It can't replace, uh, you know, traditional marketing. You know, you really you still have to meet people face to face, shake their hand, build trust, um, and you can't build. It's really hard to build trust online if you're not also connecting offline with people. <laughs> so it should really just highlight and complement all your, your efforts offline, whether you're a business or a podcast or whatever it is that you're doing. I, uh, with what you're saying in tandem to have making sure that your real life is reflecting your social media life and making sure to make those kind of connections, it's very important because if you're not doing that, the Internet's a creepy place. Anybody could be anybody if you don't know them for real. So getting out there and, and, you know, kind of putting yourself out there first and saying, hey, I believe in this. I believe in it this much that I'm willing to go out into the real world and tell you about it, this Internet thing or this other thing I've got going on. So I, th I think those are some lovely tips. Now I'm going to ask you a little bit of a deeper question in regards to building business and how you have used your business building techniques in podcast building. What are some of your strengths and what are some of your weaknesses when it comes to building something as, as important as, as a business? Hmm, the, some things that you've maybe learned about yourself along the way. I, yeah, okay, so strength, I'm not brilliant. I'm very far from brilliant, but I'm very competent. <laughs> Does that make sense? Absolutely. Like, I, like like I'm not brilliant, but you can count on me. Like if I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And I, 
I feel a, a, a strong sense of responsibility to my customers. So customer service is really important. Um, I'm also, I think another strength is that I, this used to really almost cripple my confidence, but now that I'm older, I understand that it, it really shouldn't and doesn't, but I, I don't know. I, I really feel like I don't know anything. <laughs> and, I, and I don't mean that flippantly, but I think the second you start to think you know it all, is it's over. It's all over for you. So I think a strength of mine is that I never think I know it all. I'm always like every day, especially and particularly in the social media space where it's you know, it's a moving target. You know, everything is constantly changing. If you knew everything eight hours ago, well, you don't know everything now <laughs> because it's all changed overnight. So, um, so sort of like that desire and need to constantly be learning and educating myself is there. And I think, I think that's a strength. Um, did you ask about weaknesses? I have plenty of I, those. Well, yeah, I mean, and I'm not trying to highlight weaknesses, obviously, but just <laughs> okay. maybe, maybe is there something within your journey that was a weak point that through everything you've done and overcome you have maybe conquered because the i mean weaknesses are made to be conquered in my opinion yeah i think when i had that the huge business failure um i think my biggest mistake was that i truly believed that as long as i worked hard enough i wouldn't lose like Oh, if I'm not making it working 17 hours a day, I'll work 18 hours a day. Nobody can outwork me. Nobody has a better work ethic. And I thought that was enough. I thought that's all I needed and I would succeed. You know, the business would be a success because I would just work harder. And I found out that that's a mistake. It's not, it's not, working hard is important, but, um, you know, there was also other things. You also have to be, you know, smart and strategic and, um, and sometimes working, just working hard is not enough. It can act and it can actually, you know, you can, you can drown yourself in working hard and just lose perspective and lose the big picture. And that's exactly what happened to me. I think that's uh, almost beautiful advice within your story of how that happened to you. So it's, it's good though, because you're not wrong. You can put your heart and soul in 20 hours of work into something and, it's and it's not even you, you know, situationally speaking, it could have been a million different things, but you were so driven and you were so determined. And I think that's just a, a really um, a bright shining spotlight on who you are as a person in your character. You definitely want to help people and you are not willing to ever give up. And uh, that's a that's a dedication and determination that not a lot of people have. So it's very obvious to me why you've done so many different things successfully throughout your life. Uh, I, I do want to mention that, you know, I don't think we talked about it much, but you do have a co-host on Jelly Vision Show. How did you guys meet? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Tim, his name is Tim, Tim Trueheart, and that's his real name, Tim Trueheart. And Tim is an aspiring um, comedian and actor. He is, uh, well, he's a full-time stand-up comedian in the Washington, D.C. area. He's very funny. And we met at, at the Soundry, which was the creative co-working space. He actually came in um, and volunteered to be our creative director for the improv troupe that started there. And um, that's how I, I met him. And I asked him if he would be willing to try this podcast with me. And he said yes. And, you know, seven years later, seven and a half years later, you know, we're 
still doing that thing. Although we have taken a bit of a hiatus from the podcast because uh, Tim and his girlfriend had a baby. Yeah, so it was a good reason. And and my business got, you know, really, really busy, which was, which is nice. I mean, they're all very good reasons to take a hiatus. Um, So I'm not sure what the future of the Jelly Vision show is. Um, Part of me thinks we've kind of said it all, like in terms of like talking about creative entrepreneurship. And um, so I'm not sure what's next with, with the podcast. Okay. Well, then, if you're not sure what is next with the podcast, then I guess I'm going to just ask you in general, what's next? What do you got going on with your life? What can you tell our listeners that you have coming up soon that they should be looking out for? Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, I have a couple of projects I'm working on. Um, uh, One of my clients uh, has asked me to help her put on a conference for her business. It's called the Possibilities Conference. It's happening April 7th in the D.C. area. And it's a conference for writers, and it's um, it's basically how to transition from being a writer to a professional author. Um, so, write a writer. When you're a writer, you can be you know pretty introverted, and then <clears throat> once you're published, you really have to <clears throat> excuse me, losing my voice. You really have to put yourself out there in the public eye, and some authors really struggle with that. So, we have a, a day long conference, sort of helping with that those issues, and. Um, Another one of my clients, um, I'm partnering her on a project called Powerbox, and that's P-O-W-H-E-R, and it's a subscription box, but it is locally based, so it'll have goods and services made and produced by women in the local community, and it gives back to um, women's shelters and homeless shelters in the area. So it's a huge project, but it's we're hoping to launch it in a few months, so you'll be hearing more about that. <laughs> that sounds awesome, actually. Oh, thank and you. That's it. That sounds like a huge undertaking, but it sounds like, again, it's something that is very much for helping the people. And Jennifer, that's definitely what you are all about. Now, you just said something about authors. It sparked my brain to remember a previous conversation you and I had, which makes me remember that I forgot to write down a, a very important question. You represent some authors. Is that the same in the same business avenue as your social media rescue, or is this a totally different thing that you're also doing? It's so funny that you asked that because it, right now it's all under the social media rescue umbrella, but I'm in the process of spinning off um, a division of the business that's just going to be for my author clients. So it'll be more, it'll be more um, of a niche and, and that we're calling that right on social W R I T E on social. And so I'm just waiting for logos and all of that to be, designed before I can launch the website and all the social media platforms. But yeah, it's, it's going to end up being separate from social media rescue, but right now it's all under one umbrella, but you, your instincts are so good because I, it's something that I've been wanting to spin off into its own thing, um, for a while now. And that's exactly why, because it just makes sense. (laughs) Excellent. Well, it's good to see It, it just, to me, it was one of those questions that I just realized, like you are a creator you are an entrepreneur. You love creating businesses. You talked about ha- helping this author. And I was just like, wait a minute. I know maybe a little bit more about the story than most because we've had conversations about one of the authors you represent more specifically. And 
it was just like, of course, I'm sure you're trying to do something excellent like that. So that's really exciting for you that you have yet another thing on your plate. I, I, you're very busy. <laughs> I, I, I know. it's It gets a little nuts, honestly. But I think I must enjoy having a certain degree of, of overwhelm or stress in my life. Um, you know, we only get, unless you believe in reincarnation, which, you know, I've, I'm not. I, I still think that might be a possibility, but um, in case it's not, I feel like you've got to like squeeze as much into every hour of the day as possible. <laughs> you got to get as much out of this life as you can. I think you just earned the nickname, the Jen of all trades, because that's like <laughs> really what you do. You you have your hand in a little bit of everything, and that's absolutely incredible. Jennifer, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, before we go, I always do this. Open up the floor Ask my guest if there's anything we did not touch on that maybe we should have in this first interview. If that's the case, you can uh, definitely bring that up now, and I apologize for missing it. No, I can't think of anything other than I just want the chance to compliment you on being such a great interviewer. And not just with this interview, but I um, was listening to your podcast uh, this week and noticing that you have such great interview skills and such a great manner behind the mic that I think you are doing exactly what you should be doing. Oh, I appreciate that very much. Thank you so much for that compliment, uh, especially coming from you. That's like, woo. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> I also want to say, just to touch on, just to like this little interesting add-on to our conversation from Podcasting Smarter, you had asked me this question of like, if I could pick podcasters to have shows, who and why, and, and one of my picks is David Letterman. So mm -hmm. I, you said Netflix. Do, have you seen, and my next guest is, with David Letterman? I've seen, I haven't watched it, but I've seen it come up in my queue and I've been meaning to get to it. It's, so it sounds like I should. It's a podcast. It's a, he literally did a podcast with Barack Obama. I mean, that's, it's not a podcast cause it's like in front of a live studio audience, but you could have recorded that audio and it's exactly what my vision was for that. So it was really kind of amazing to see that happened. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very, very bizarre. But uh, all right, well, folks, before we get out of here, again, Jennifer, thank you so much today for coming on. It was a pleasure to just go through your journey. We'd love to have you back sometime. Season two is coming up soon, so we'll have to book you for the next season of The Voice of Survival, where things will change. We'll be uh, going undergoing a whole different format change, folks. But as always, you can check us out on all the different social media sites, Voice of Survival Podcast on Facebook, Voice of Survival on Twitter, and The Voice of Survival on Instagram. I do believe I can never remember my Instagram because I'm the worst. Uh, and all, as always, listen to The Voice of Survival Podcast on journeyintocomics.com. You can also check us out on all the different podcasting apps, whether it's iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, our home base, which is Podbean. I think I got them all. And if that's going to do it for this week's episode of The Voice Survival, I've been Nate. Jennifer, once again, thank you so much. Thanks, Nate. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.